I am shifting gears a little bit this week and really excited for today's episode. Now, last episode was with Sasha Popovich, who you might recall was really about how he built a great company and taking a little bit from his own intuition and a bit from some of Jim Collins's books and really how he built a place where, where people, where the organization could thrive, people could thrive within the organization and just his unique approach to business. It was a great conversation. I, I really, really enjoyed talking to Sasha. It was the second time he had been on the show. And he has such a different approach from what we think of as traditional and traditional and heavy quotes there, ways of doing business. And so I took so much from it. And But today we're going to go, rather than talking about building a company, really going to look at inside, at ourselves. And so today's guest, fascinating, fascinating guest. So she started off as a reluctant supermodel and found success there, became an actress, was a winner on Fear Factor. Now she's she has switched directions again, and she is now a mindfulness coach and educator. And so we really get into not letting self-doubt limit who or what you could be, not letting your profession take over who you are. And so we, we really talk a lot about identity, and we talk a lot about self-doubt. And I, you know, I if you've listened to the show for a while now, you know I love talking about identity and our own perceptions of herself. And she also talks about how do you succeed in new fields? Obviously, she has switched directions a few times. And what did she learn from that? About not getting shackled by fear. About separating unwarranted criticism from useful feedback. And, and I love that topic because even when we're being attacked unfairly, sometimes there's a nugget of truth in there. And how do you separate all that out? She talks about why your thoughts are not you. And I, I find that fascinating. And she builds on that by talking about how do you be open to unexpected opportunities? And also answering the question, who am I? So clearly we go big in this episode, right? I mean, we're not, we're not talking about small questions here. And then she talks about how do we stay grounded, especially in uncertain times like now, through mindfulness and meditation. And so fantastic episode. I'm really, really excited to share it with you today. Hope you're ready to, to play bigger do better, move the world. And so let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards, and my guest today is Nathra Raghuraman. And Nathra, so on your Instagram page, you are you list your bio as mindfulness coach and consultant, actor, supermodel, television presenter, but above all, a human being. Yes, that covers a lot of ground. And <laughs> so I, I, I'm curious. So can you just tell me a little bit about? I don't know even where to start with all that. So, so your journey, um, how, yeah, let, let's just, let's just start there. So how, how did you cover all that ground a, a, across your career? All right. I'm going to start by saying thank you, Brock, for having me on your show. I'm very happy to be here. Um, and to answer your question, well, yes, I have been a supermodel. I've been in movies and all of that. I started from a small town, uh, as many people do. And it just so happened that I applied for a national level contest. I won it. 
And that took me to represent India in an international contest. And I did well there and I got a modeling contract with Elite. So I started working with Elite in Milan and then uh, the contract continued. So, you know, it just work started like that. But I came back to India at some point, uh, made that my base. And I've continued to remain in India, work in India. Somewhere down the line, I got into movies. And it was a fun experience, although I will say it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> but yet I have done a bunch of movies, some proper Bollywood dancing ones, some more serious acting. In India, it used to be called art house movies at those times because they had a very clear distinction between commercial movies and art house movies. So I've done both and uh, I won awards for it. And in the process of that, I realized that's not for me. I came back to modeling full time. I've done many shows on television. I've hosted shows. I've um, taken part in the international fear factor, but the Indian edition of it. So it's like any other fear factor, except because we came from India and I'm a vegetarian. So uh, the reason I could do it is because there was no ingestion of stuff. I mean, that's my first question when they asked me for it too. And I said, are you crazy? It's fear factor. I'm a vegetarian. And they said, oh God, there's no ingestion. But then... You know, we had a face thrown into snakes and cockroaches crawling all over us. And even that's happened. So I did that. <laughs> and I've, uh, you know, with movies and everything. The thing is, the one thing that I've always aimed at, whether when I was younger, back in school, that time it was, you know, an, a subconscious thing. That's the only way I knew to be. But then as I grew up and I went into this whole glamorous field. At that time, it became a very uh, focused point in my life that no matter how big, no matter how uh, glamorous, no matter how unreal my world is, it's very easy to get caught up in that, you know, with all the money and all the, it, the glamour, the life, the lifestyle, the people you meet, the parties you go to, uh, people vie for your attention. It's very easy to get lost and it's very easy to get caught up in it and begin to believe an alternate reality that exists. And it does, you know, because that is life too. But the point in my head always is that at some point, all that has to end. And even otherwise, like I could be on the catwalk, you know, I'm the showstopper or I'm on television hosting this fantastic show and I have thousands of people watching. But the point is I go back home, I strip that makeup off, I get into my pajamas and then I'm the normal human being. So I had made it a point very early in my career to never let what I do in my profession take over who I am or where I'm from. So if you ask me, you know, I've been all over the world. I've worked. I've done some of the biggest shows. I've met some of the most, um, some wonderful people, some weird people, some fun people. And at the end of it, uh, I've always remained that normal girl from that little town. So I don't know if that's good or bad, though, I have to say, because sometimes if you 
I feel, I wonder if I'm holding myself back, but more than that, it always feels good to realize that I'm in touch with reality, that I can see people, that people can see me, that they connect with me. And I mean, you understand when I say see, I don't mean physically see. It's, it's like I can really connect with people and people can really connect with me. And that's been something um, that I felt through my work, through people I used to work with backstage, my choreographers. The only people I could not connect with were those who lived in this alternate reality. And there were a lot of that too, but I accept it. So the reason I say above all a human being is because no matter where you are, no matter who you are, um, you can never forget that you're a human being and more than just a human being. It's how to be a human, you know, it's like to feel compassion, to feel a connection, to know that you are not it, that there is more to this world beyond you. These things matter a lot to me. And uh, after coming to Singapore over a period of time, I, I took up as a profession what I otherwise have been practicing in my life ever since I can remember. So I took up, I've been practicing meditation for a very, very long time. It helped me stay grounded through my profession. It helped me stay grounded through my ups and downs. And I've had a lot of that. And uh, I just used all of that and the person that I am and my beliefs, and I got into mindfulness and meditation. So now I, I work in this field. So that about sums well, up the question. <laughs> excellent. I know it was a very big open question there. Yeah. And, and I know you were just giving, giving me the, the high level, but it, it almost sounds like the opportunities came to you, not that you were necessarily pursuing them, you know, like it, it sounded like even even with modeling, I mean, you, you did do the contest, but I, I don't know. Did you always intend to be a model or was it just an opportunity presenting? It's, it's amazing how you caught on that, Prof, because uh, truth be told, I never wanted to be one. I've, I've always called myself the reluctant model. And uh, because, and in a way that's held me back because, you know, when you accept something completely, it allows you a sort of growth, which when you hold back in some ways, and I've always held back here and there, and that I believe may have stopped me from growing even more. But again, I mean, that is who I am, right? You can't stop that. I mean, you can't change that. So I didn't want to really be a model. I never pursued it. It was never of interest to me. Um, I was studying psychology and I was going to go down that path. Uh, the thing is where I grew up and the way my family is, modeling was glamour. It's just, it was impossible. Like it, was, it, it was not even an impossible thing. It just didn't exist. Impossible is something that you see, you want to get to it, but you say, oh, there's no way I can get to it. And then there is some stuff that you don't even see. It's not in your vision. It's not possible or impossible. It just doesn't exist. So modeling was in the it just doesn't exist space. But around my final year in my university, I believe destiny had plans because a lot of things started happening. People started approaching me. I'm, I'm very tall. 
And again, I'm not as tall as, I mean, I see people around me now where I sometimes think, geez, I'm a dwarf. They're so tall. But at that time where I was in the city that I lived in, uh, I was very tall. So automatically when even the smallish work started modeling wise, they would approach me. And at least that term began to play in my ears. And the only reason I approached it was because it seemed like a fun way or I thought an easier way to make pocket money. Uh, and I got paid ridiculously less amount of money. When I say ridiculously less, it's a joke. Uh, but I realized that it was not my cup of tea because especially when I was in my university, because it was not professional modeling, you know, I did one or two things and it sounded, it was waste of time. So I kind of never thought about it, but it's just that the height, um, the way I look, I guess there was a constant, people would approach. And when this contest came up, it actually was my mom who asked me that, you know, why don't you try this out? And my instant reaction was, are you crazy? It's, it's never going to work out. My mother said, yeah, but what's wrong with trying? And, you know, my mom has a very open mind and it's amazing. Uh, I, I do say that a lot of who I am and what I am is because of her conviction in me more than my conviction in me. So I just took it up. And the only thing that really worked in my favor at that time is, apart from my genetics, is more so because... I was very, I'm a very, um, how do I say? I'm very open-minded and I'm accepting. So although I couldn't consider modeling as a possibility in my life, when you suggest it to me and I see it, I'm not the kind to close up because I'm shy. I'm confident. So I was ready to go try it out. And, you know, what's the worst? You'd go try it out. It won't be nice. You'd come back. So I just thought that an international level contest might be way better put together than something I do locally. And it was, and I never thought I'd win. I did. I didn't want to go internationally and work because I didn't know head and tail of anything at that time, but I did. And after all that, when I came back to India, I just, you know, it just seemed like it was not the right thing to quit and go back home and get back to psychology, which I was, I was doing my master's at that time. I didn't want to just go back and join master's. I wanted to give it a good attempt. That was my thing. Like, I'm not a quitter. So I just gave it, I said, I'm going to give it one year and I'm going to try my best. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I gave myself that one year and that one year I became, uh, you know, I mean, just winning a contest is not enough, right? Every year there are winners. But in that one year, I based myself as one of the top models of India. You know, I started doing all the right shows, all the right shoots. And within that year, I got my television show. Within the next year, I got my movies. So it just kind of skyrocketed. And as it skyrocketed, I began to realize that I was very good at what I did. And that's why I was growing in the industry. And you know, and I have this discipline in my work and I have, um, I, I just realized I was very good actually to sum it up. So that was that, but that work started and I began to accept that this is life and this is my career. But then time and again, I would have people approach me and ask me things like, oh, okay, family, I mean, 
who would say things like, oh, okay, you're doing this, but uh, when are you going to get a real career? And that plays on your head, you know. It makes you wonder, is there, is there going to be a real career that I'm missing out on because of doing this? It took me a while to find my way around these things because, you know, it's one thing when someone tells you to your face that you're not going to be successful because that is set to your face, that you face it. And if you're ready to accept what they said, and if you're ready to answer some harsh questions about whether you are or are not capable of that success, you will go ahead or you will walk away from it. But when things are said with a very, you know, with this, this innuendos there or there's stuff that's said, but that's not said, and then you're left wondering, am I making a mistake? So each time, like if I lost a show or if I lost a shoot, it would cause self-doubt. That played. So, yeah, I mean, there's been a reluctance, but I found my way through it, I guess. And after a while, I've, that's it, found it, loved it, and decided to ignore the rest of the world and just do good. Well, you know, with, within all of that, I, I get fascinated by identity, you know, who, who we think we are, how we identify ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like there was, um, well, we, we all have kind of struggles in that when you talk about the self-doubt and, you know, am I good at this? Should I be doing this? Is this even a thing for me? Now, and, but you've gone through several careers, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> as we mentioned, you know, you did that modeling, you did that in TV, you did that in movies. Uh, now you're a coach. Um, I think you're, you're also working on a book, correct? Yeah, I am. So, yeah. okay. So, you know, <laughs> wide range of careers. When, when, with your identity, how have you been able to not get trapped by who you think you are? If that makes sense. Mm, how do I not get trapped by who I think? So, so, so you, yeah, you've been able to be fluid in your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, like I said, you know, I mean, in a way, it, it's, it's kind of what I said in the beginning, which is I, I refuse to get, uh, how do I say it? I didn't want anyone to define me. And... I never let anyone define me. So on the same note, I never wanted to be defined as just a, because I've heard that term, you know, quote unquote, just a model. Oh, she's just a model. And I should look at people going, what is just a model? You know, just a model is also a human being, is also maybe someone's sister, someone's mother, someone something. You know, some people are into business. Some people, there's a lot, so much more to everybody. And why do people tag people and say just a? Uh? So I've fought it all my life. And I believe somewhere there, it also didn't allow me to tag myself as I can be incapable of something else. So it's, it's that same thing that set me off in the beginning. You know, I, modeling was not even on the horizon as a possibility, but when asked, why don't you try it out? I'm not going to tag myself and say, I can't do it, or I will never be, you know, I'm ready to take it on and see what can come out of it. And as I go through the process, as I go through the journey, I ask myself questions and I see how I progress. And sometimes I look, look at things and go, okay, this is not for me. 
And some things I look at it and I go, I'm great at this. And believe me, when you're great at something or you're good at something and you love it and it loves you, life takes you down the path more and more. So like modeling was my cup of tea. I went down the path. But again, like I said, every day I went back home, right? <laughs> you go back home, you go back to yourself, you go back to who you are as a person. So if you can look at yourself in the mirror and see that that personality that you put out there is not the complete you. There is more to me. It's not that the personality who's out there is not me. That is me. But it is not the complete me. There is more to me. I see it. And it doesn't matter who else sees it. I see it. And that was very important in staying grounded. So I got and of course, I mean, it's, it's the field of modeling can be extremely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It can be extremely painful. I mean, you gain half a centimeter somewhere and some designer will go screaming at you saying, how dare you gain weight before my show? It could be anything. It could be bloating. It could be, you know, the designer got his measurements wrong. Everything is possible. But who's going to at that point answer and, and you feel so embarrassed because they can go yelling at you in public. They can go yelling at you in public. They may just stop using you because they believe you've gained weight. And that's just one of the many things, right? So then you're controlling your food, then you're controlling how you look and you, know, you, you feel you can't say certain things because what if they stopped using you? So there's, when I say using you, I mean like booking you for their work. So there's a lot, you live in this eternal fear of what if, and, and not to mention, you know, this, this field is entirely about the external, right? It's how you look. So God forbid you have a zit on your face or they look at you going, oh, you look like this today, but what if you don't look like this two days from now? And then you're living in the fear of what if it's true? What if you don't look like this two days from now? But it's not true, you know, you, the, so somewhere like, you know, going through all of these things, I had to find something that grounded me. And, and this, I mean, this also all happens to you when you're really young, you know, when you're at this young, young age where so many things can affect you and uh, you don't have enough understanding of your own. You know, this is like, like early 20s, late teens, and there are kids who get into modeling at 13 and 14. You can imagine how much it affects them when you hear these kind of things. So it took a lot in me to be able to say they can't define me, that I define myself, that this is who I see in the mirror and this is who I am. So it took a lot to be able to go back home and I would literally look at myself and go, you know, you didn't get this job but this doesn't mean that you cannot get this other job because it really does play on your, um, your confidence more than anything else. And with all of that in mind, I started actually meditating and uh, it really, really helped me, it grounded me. And over a period of time, what it does is it, it shows you what is real. I can't explain this in a way. You, you kind of start looking at life a little from above. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's almost as if I'm looking at myself. So even if someone's yelling at you, you can look at it going, okay, I see your perspective. I see why you're yelling at me. 
you know, you are stressed because your show is not going to go as planned because outside something's gone wrong. Your show is going to start half an hour late. And unfortunately, I'm the punching bag right now. I understand. What it does is if, even if they call you anything, uh, even if they say you are fat and you're making my outfit look ugly, I'm not going to go back and believe that I'm fat or I'm making the outfit look ugly. I very clearly know that I'm looking fantastic at that moment or not, whatever it is. But the point is, I know what they're telling me is not the whole truth. There's a reason behind it. You know, and if you can see that entire sequence of events, which I could, it kind of helps you stay above and not get affected by all the things that happen. And that's the one big way that I have continued to remain who I am. Well, um, Nathra, let, let me ask here. So how, how do you separate out here is criticism that, you know, just isn't true. It's just the person stressed in the moment. And here is some feedback that I mm-hmm. could really learn from in the moment. I would say the one clear way of doing that is you really have to be able to talk the truth to yourself. So if someone looks at me, I've had like obviously all through my life, right? I've had criticism as well as people going through bad days. It, it happens. First and foremost, if the person yelling at you is angry or frustrated or upset, you automatically know that it's not coming from a good place. People who are giving you logical criticism are not screaming at you. The ones screaming at you are not thinking straight to start with. Mm. So what's coming out of them most probably is not making sense either. So to be able to understand that, you have to first come to a complete acceptance of who you are, which means you need to know what is good about you and what is not so good about you and what is horrible about you. You cannot paint a very good picture of yourself to yourself. So you cannot lie. Like I have never lied about myself to me. So at the same time, so, you know, when I started out, for example, I used to be told you need to get surgery done on your nose it's, and this came from very logical, like very photographers used to shoot at me, well, maybe you should do surgery on your nose and make it sharper. And I used to look at them going, wow, you know, you're asking me to go under a knife for what? And then, so you have to go back home and like really truly answer this question to yourself that in, is them accepting you the way they perceive you? Is that important? Or is it okay for you to accept yourself as you are? And are you ready to let go of them or their acceptance of you? So my point is, if as long as you can accept yourself incomplete and total the way you are, it allows you to start sieving through what people say to you. So I look at myself in the mirror and I go, okay, the nose may not be the nose that they want. And I can see what he's saying, but the point is I'm all right with it. So if I, if I have to make a choice between go under a knife or live with the nose, I'm ready to live with the nose. 
So I don't care <laughs> if you don't like my nose. I like my nose. So you don't like me. You won't work with me. Somebody else will. But hey, guess what? The same photographers have come and worked with me because at that point, they like my confidence. Mm. So what is somebody's perception today may not remain their perception tomorrow. That's one thing. And, you know, you, if you are aware of yourself, then you also know where you lack or where you, you know, where you're good. So even when I got into Bollywood, for example, I figured very early that I was not fitting in because the way I approach work and life is not the way you work the movie industry, especially not in India. I still, I mean, there's a, we have stories across the world, right? There's a Me Too movement and all going on right now, but it obviously exists and I'm not that person. So it, it was impossible for me to get my public relations going right. I used to anger directors, piss them off before I took off. It, it was really irritating. And I used to keep looking at people around me, my agents going, why? Like, why is this not working out? And then you realize it's because of the way I am. So if my agent at one point looked at me and he said, because you come across to matter of fact, because you're not coming across like this damsel in distress. And I said, but I'm not a damsel in distress. I'm, you know, quite confident of myself right now. So then you answer this question and you go, I accept your criticism. When I accept what the guy is saying about why it's not working out, and I, I completely accept it. And then I know that I have two choices. Either play damsel in distress or stick to who I am. And then I make a choice. So on the same note, so when people say things to me, or, and I would say this to anybody, anyone who's listening in, right? When people critique you, it's good to listen. It's difficult to listen, but it's good to listen. And it's very important to take that back, get yourself some time and focus on it. Listen to what they say in your head, play it back, and then start answering the questions little by little. If anything they say, how much of it is true? And you know, your conscience tells you that this is true, that this is right and this is wrong. And when you know this is right, then it's up to you. You have a choice whether you want to make it better or you want to let it be because you don't care. And that then begins to define who you are and how you will be. And again, that's a choice that you've made. So, sorry, that's oh, no. about it. No, that, that's fantastic. So, uh, you know, along those lines, so as you've shifted careers and shifted focus, uh, you know, that's very difficult for, for a lot of people because, well, one of the identity piece, you know, I do X, so I can't do Y. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you've already addressed that a bit, but what about just the self-doubt from moving from one field to another? How, how have you been able to deal with that? Um, look, self-doubt has been a part of me, and I think it's a part of everybody, right, to a large extent at least a part of most people to a large extent. So uh, like I said, I've had an extremely successful career, supermodel, 20 years, et cetera, et cetera. And the only reason it's not existent right now is because I've left it. But, you know, there was a day that I started during the contest when I started. And if you say self-doubt at that time, 
I was on stage and I was being told for the, I don't know, 25th or 26th time about how I was doing everything wrong. I had no idea what I was doing wrong. It's just that the way my surname falls, I, I fell in the middle of the list of girls because it was by name. So automatically when you fall in the middle, the first half has done something, then I would be the punching bag and there'd be a bunch who came after me and then the rest were fine because by then they lost interest. I've gone through it nonstop. And there was this one day where in front of everybody, I was getting screamed at by this choreographer saying, you're horrible and you know why are you in this contest and what do you expect to do? I mean, I swear I stood there broken that day. I went home and I had two choices. Self-doubt was a big demon that day in my life. I went home, like I said, two choices. One was accept what they say and either just shut up, go through the contest, go home, or let them know that their perception of me is wrong. So I came home and I asked extremely brutal questions of myself, which is, what is she saying? Why is she saying this? Like, am I not able to do it? Maybe I'm not giving 100% of myself. You know, am I holding back? What, what could I be holding back? Like, what's stopping me from going out there and doing something that blows their minds up? Having answered a lot of those questions, the next day when I went back, I stood on stage and I did whatever my choreographed piece was. And I did it with such conviction that the same choreographer who the day before had called me a loser stood there, clapped, and called all the other contestants and said, this is the girl you should all emulate because that's how transformation is done. It was amazing. It was a great boost of, uh, you know, what do I say, self-worth, and it makes you feel amazing. And that, though, stuff like that keeps happening in life. And for whenever that happens, you have to remember it. And you have to know that that moment is a part of your life, just as a number of times that you will have self-doubt. So today, if I have self-doubt about, say, not being able to do something, I'm not going to let that self-doubt control what or who I could be. Because there have been moments and various different incidences which have proven over a period of time that I am worth it. So I look at that. And then you weigh that versus what you, know, you have doubt about. And then it's up to you to build your confidence and go out there. So the first time I got into movies, I, I never knew I could act. So the director who approached me was this really, he was a very famous, famous director. He came up and he said, uh, I would like you to you know, act in this movie. And I looked at him and I said, I've never acted before. And he said, well, I would like you to act in this movie. And I looked at him and I said, well, if you believe I can act, then I'm going to believe I can act. And it turned out I could act. But it just came with this confidence of knowing that I'm not going to be shackled by my fears, one, and I'm going to go out there and there's an opportunity, right? Sometimes you let opportunities go. Many times. I've done it too. And those things also, I mean, you're happy or sad for having let opportunities go sometimes. But if it's an opportunity and it's come your way and there's someone there saying possibility exists, I'm not going to be the one to say no. 
you know, at the same, and, and so that's the reason I said yes to movies, for example. And on the same note, I've said yes to so many things, which was so not me. Like fear factor. I'm, I'm not one of those people who will ever go on a bungee. I mean, no amount of money you give me can push me onto a bungee. I will not jump off that cliff. And yet I did it because fear factor just sounded, when I heard them, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, of course. But once I was there, I was not going to chicken out. <laughs> you know, I was not going to quit. I was like, I'm not going to quit. And they thought I would quit, by the way. Everyone there thought I would be the quitter because I just looked at them going, this is crazy. That night, they all said she's going to quit. The next day, I came back and said, no, I'm going to be here and I'm going to prove to you that I'm not a quitter. So I have self-doubt, as does everybody else. But I also believe that there is a lot of possibilities in me, as is in everybody else. So it comes down to, can you dig that out of you? And most times you can. Many times you can't unless and until you're really pushed to a corner. Pushed to a corner, maybe you can. You know, and that's when you sit and you really look at yourself and go, what am I worth? What am I not worth? Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? There are, a, there are so many questions there, you know, and you can ask those questions and those questions give you answers. But you have to be ready to face the facts. And I am ready to face the facts. And the self-doubt actually has played a big part. Like when I moved to Singapore with my husband, I, I gave up my career. I moved here because we were going to have a kid and I didn't want, um, or rather I wanted the child to be born here and you know, be with my husband and everything. So we moved here and I just in my head always thought of it as a pause that I'll have my baby and go right back to my career. And it took me a while a couple of years to accept that I'm not going to just go back to my career because, you know, my kiddo needs me and I need her <laughs> and we are here. So it took me a while to figure that I'm not going back. Those couple of years, it was very difficult because I went from being this supermodel, an entity on my own to being somebody in an unknown country to me where I had no friends. My husband had to work, he had to travel. There was me and my kid most of the time. And it begins to make you wonder, who are you? I seriously have asked myself this question, who am I? I'm a mother and I'm happy to be a mother. But is that all I am? You know, like, is there not supposed to be more to me? And these questions play a big part in the life of almost all women, for sure, who stay at home. And even men, whoever stay at home to like, bring up their kids for a while. It's, it's a huge thing, you know, when you go on maternity and stuff, you start wondering, is that me? And is that it? And is there going to be more to me? And what happened to the old me? I've gone through self-doubt to a point where I, I was literally bordering on depression because I could not figure out what to do. I wasn't ready to give up my identity in India as a model, but that identity didn't really hold true where I was. And I was never flaunting it in Singapore. So then I tried to get into the same field of work in Singapore. And I realized that the career here, like it's, it's in a very nascent stage and it was not my cup of tea. So then you go back to what are you going to do? And uh, yeah, so self-doubt as, you know, as um, near as maybe a couple of years ago, it was really bad. And uh, 
when I was literally bordering on depression, I started, I, you know, you suddenly realize that I used to do this and I've stopped doing this, which is sit back and accept, sit back, face facts. So I did that. I spent a few days, maybe, literally answering questions. I, I stand in front of a mirror and I would start asking myself, why are you doing this? Why are you here? So I had my answers. I'm here for my kid. I don't want to go back. I want to be here. Okay, I'm ready to give up my career. What do I do? You know, somewhere I came out of it knowing that I'm at peace. And yes, there's self-doubt, but I'm literally at peace with who and where I am right now. And the moment I reached that part in my life, it led me on to... Um, what I wanted to do next. Well, and that's, a, sorry. Oh, no, in fact, you, you may have already been hitting there. I was just going to mention that you'd, you'd mentioned earlier that meditation, you, I mean, you credited meditation for helping keep you grounded, mm -hmm. uh, for helping give you perspective. And now you've transitioned um, kind of this next stage of working with others around mindfulness and mm -hmm. So, well, first off, when you say meditation, that's very, very broad. You know, different people mm -hmm. get different images of what meditation is. So for you, what does meditation look like and how do you help others find mindfulness? Um, okay, meditation to me is, you know, uh, I come from India and meditation comes from there. And my grandparents and all have been meditating. So meditating for us is literally that zone where you're silent, you're with yourself and only with yourself. And you, you know, your thoughts come, your thoughts go, but you stay with your breath. A most simple, simple form of meditation. I used to do that. I was also back in India at one point, very actively with the, the art of living. Um, it's a very famous, uh, it's a very famous guru. And, uh, it's his uh, pre-teachings. It's, it's nothing religious, but it's a way of life. And uh, it teaches you different forms of breathing. You know, there are various forms of breathing because your breath controls your life, right? I mean, from the moment you're born to the moment you die, the one thing that is constant is your breath. And it's, it's with you at all times. So if you can hold on to that, then you're never alone, ever. You have your breath, your breath has you. So that's what I started to follow at that time. I started meditating with my breath, that's it. And uh, the thing with, so the thing with mindfulness is, you know, uh, John Kabat-Zinn back in the 60s, I believe, he actually, he was a Buddhist and he's a doctor. And he realized that a lot of the Buddhist principles, meditations and all were helping people during his uh, treatment of them. And that's how he kind of put in these ideologies and he, into a more structured form and called it mindfulness. So there are meditations in it, there are breathing techniques in it, and there is some understanding of why you do the things you do. And there are some questions that are asked. This is all in mindfulness, yeah? So when I started meditation, it didn't have anything to do with mindfulness. It was just meditation. It came from India and that came from, for me, it came from my grandparents. And I just did what 
I have seen them do. I started following it. Somewhere down the line, I started following the art of living. Um, I was very actively with them for a while. And uh, over a period of time, when I came here and I realized that this is what I want to do with my life, I uh, took up training in uh, mindfulness. And I'm a trained certified coach now. So that's how I came to where I am right now. Uh, the difference, though, is that there are, like you said, it's a very wide word when you say meditation. There are various different types of meditation. But truth be told, at the end of it, it all comes down to you, your space, yourself, your mind, your breath. That's it. Whichever meditation you do, whether you're standing on one foot, bending backwards, whether you're looking at a you know, light and just focusing on the light, whether you're chanting something, whatever you're doing, you're with your breath. And the idea is to begin to notice your thoughts and to create a distance between your thoughts and you because your thoughts are never the whole you. Your thoughts have a life of its own, but that's not you in entirety. There is more to you. And it's for you to realize that your thoughts are not you and there is more to you. And it sounds like a lot when I say, you know, it's, I've had people look at me going, what are you saying? <laughs> I keep telling them that there is a process there. And it's, if you can just like understand that your thoughts are not the complete you. And that's why when, now when we teach mindfulness, I, um, it, it's, it's scientifically proven, you know, with meditation. The thing is, in India at least, when, we started, when I started meditating, there was no scientific proof that there was no research done on it. It's a very, um, it's a thing that we all did. That's about it, right? And we all saw the benefits of it. But for those who didn't practice it, there was no way to prove it to you. Now, with mindfulness, there is. There's, there are like 800 papers written just this year on mindfulness. Not this year, last year. This year, there'll be more. I mean, now with the state of the world, uh, you know, with this whole COVID 2019 going around, mental health is going to be important. And there will be thousands of papers written about it this year. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't approach this field because... I knew where life was going to go. I just did this because this is where I wanted to be and this is where I find immense peace. And having conducted, you know, I conduct classes. I conduct one-on-one -on -one sessions. I do group classes also. And now uh, I'm volunteering my time with, with an organization here where we do classes for people and I, I do my own one-on-ones with people now. Uh, to help them through this time. And as I did this, I began to realize that I'm also good at it. Like, I can put forth the crux of the matter as it is in a way that people understand. And it's, it, it gives me immense joy, if I can say so, uh, to see that what I'm telling you, um, and this practice that I teach you, or I teach anybody, is making a difference in their life, helping them, you know, 
overcome their issues, whatever the issues may be. And uh, it's, it's extremely gratifying. It's, um, it's, and more than anything, it's extremely humbling. I, the first time I had my first session ever, I, I remember I came back, I sat down and I said, all I feel right now is humbled at, you know, what is happening around me as to how everybody has so many problems and so many issues and their past plays such a big role in their life and how they are uh, fighting with their past, you know. I mean, they're here, but they are, they're in the present, but the past has them or sometimes the future has them, but they're in the present and the present is just being missed day in and day out. They're never happy. And it, it was just humbling to be able to sit through, conduct a session and see that some amount of difference, even if it's a minuscule amount of difference, could be brought about. Um, so yeah, if you say, what meditation do I practice? I'm with my breath. And there are various different methods, though, of staying with your breath. But that's um, a whole different podcast, believe me, <laughs> or a few different podcasts. Well, Netra, um, so my last big question for you here, and, and building on that, because you mentioned that you know this is a very, very uncertain time in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what advice, or, or what are some very practical things that listeners could do to just help with that mindfulness to help stay grounded in all the uncertainty? Um, okay. One thing I'm going to say is for all the listeners out there, I mean, if you're going through any form of anxiety, any form of nervousness, panic, fear, you know, please get in touch. Uh, please get in touch with me uh, on my Instagram handle, uh, Netra Raghuraman. Please get in touch with somebody else. Please get in touch with people because there are people out there to help. And the one thing you need to do to help you is reach out. That's the first thing a person does. The day you say, this is becoming too much for me, I need help. The universe sends you help. You know, it may be a person, it may be this podcast you're listening to, it may be some you know, flyer that will land up at your doorstep that says, join this course. It could be anything. But for anybody going through this, realize that this is an extremely, extremely unprecedented time in our lives, in all of us who are living. I mean, we haven't really seen something like this before. And it's, it's grown to be way larger than we all initially thought it was. And we are all realizing now that life as we know it doesn't exist. Uh, it may come back to that. But at the same time, you don't know. You know, We don't know if you're talking two months, six months, one year. What after? Is this going to be recurring? There are, I mean, it's, it's a very uncertain time. So it's understandable for anybody to face, for anyone who faces any sort of anxiety. It's, it's completely understandable. So please do reach out. Reach out to me. Reach out to anybody else that you may feel. That's one thing. The second thing people can do is spread the word. And uh, there are thousands of people out there who are facing such issues. So 
if they know help is available, it, it, it really can save, save your sanity more than anything else. Uh, and that would be great. And what we can all do individually to remain mindful is to, it's, it's, it's difficult to kind of put it in just a couple of sentences, but I will say that if we can all try and live in the present, face the present, whether it's good or it's bad, if it's good, be grateful for what you have. If it's bad, face it, accept it, and know that the future is coming. Realize that hope exists. You know, hope has gone nowhere. Hope exists. We are all waiting for the new dawn, the new day where it's, it's going to be a different one for us. To stay mindful, stay in awareness. Stay in awareness stay in the present and know that there is always someone out there who needs your help so you can help them and who's there to help you. So that's pretty much what I want to say. Well, fantastic. Well, my final question uh, for, for you, Nathra, is a question I ask all my guests. And that's how can the listener help you? What, what would your ask be of them? Ooh. Oh, okay. That's pretty much what I said. You know, my ask would be that, like, if you need help, reach out. Okay. If you feel, it's, it's what I said, if you feel you're going through any sort of anxiety, anything, reach out, reach out to me. You know, my Instagram handle is, is pretty much how I connect with people right now. So please just send me a message send somebody else a message, spread the word, because we don't realize how we are going through, you know, if you're going through a physical amount of stress, you don't realize how that's also affecting us mentally. And we don't realize where that becomes suppressed and that where that begins to play a really big role in who and how you become in the future. So address it in the present and help me address it in the present and feel free to reach out, feel free to spread the word. Um, that would be the greatest help. Well, excellent. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Nathra. I've really enjoyed uh, your perspective, especially around identity. Like I said, that is something fascinating to me. So as we talk about the ideas that, you know, your thoughts are not you, that there's more to you than that to not mm -hmm. let your, profession take over who you are to not be shackled by fears to not let anyone else define you and to make mm -hmm. sure you're defining yourself um love that philosophy a uh, great reminder Thank you. and uh something certainly to to strive toward and uh, so just thank you for your time today really appreciate you being on the show thank you rock for having me and it's it's been my pleasure thank you so much